Um, Welcome to Not Great, the podcast that is all about reclaiming the trash in our lives and realizing that the prestige television was inside us all along. That's great. Deep within. Thank you. I'm here with Miles Grimmer. Miles is a meme queen, a frontman, an artist. Anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, uh, I think I'm, I guess I'm a blogger. I'm a humorist. I post a lot. Okay. A frequent poster. I'm here with frequent poster Miles Grimmer. And we're here to talk about why um, Ska is better than you think it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, first of all, it's coming back. So it's a force we're going to have to reckon with, regardless of uh, our memories with it. Will this be the fourth wave, then, that comes back? I've been thinking about it. Uh, I think it will be the fourth wave. But I kind of feel like the third wave needs to be broken up. Uh, Future ska historians might make a distinction between, like, the 90s, like, uh, kind of clueless like when the mighty mighty boss played the prom in clueless that was a different mm-hmm. era than like when it was 2008 and paris hilton put out a ska song that's true i'm here with future ska historian miles grimmer and we're trying to figure out where the fourth wave starts is it paris hilton is it now what do you think why do you think that ska is coming back well it's I think the aesthetic seeds are planted, like, uh, as you can imagine, I spend a lot of time on Instagram, and you see a lot of, like, 20-year-old, like, LA people wearing, like, checkerboard print all the time, and you just, I've just been noticing the pattern, and, uh... The bucket hats came back, so it's really only a matter of time before the music that is associated with them also makes a return. Exactly, and, uh, like emo was so big and soundcloud rap like uh little uzi vert and stuff i mean that man Mm -hmm. went to the grammys in the trip pants and i feel like ska is kind of the ideological yin to emo's yang yeah just kind of as like an adolescent like ska is for just happy i guess whereas Ska's for partying, emo's for feelings. Right, Ska's for the kegger, or maybe just the band camp party. Emo's for the bedroom. The the empty bedroom. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now that brings up an interesting thing that I feel like neither Ska nor emo is appropriate for a ensemble bedroom moment. No, there's very little romance to either. Yeah. Who, who produced the fuck jams of the mid-aughts? Oh, that had to have been... Oh, man. Did we just go to, like, hip-hop and R&B for that? Yeah, or... I think Akon was the okay. mid-aughts... Fuck king? I don't know. <laughs> That's a stretch. But... Yeah, he might... Akon deserves his comeuppance, I think. What do you find sonically pleasing about ska? Because I tried willfully to like re get into ska and I just couldn't do it. Right. It happened. It was like six months ago. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's give ska another chance. And I, there's like two real big fish songs that I'll re listen to, but then everything else and like 
stuff from the second wave I still like, but then I I would try to like dive deeper and something would stop me. I was blocked still emotionally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, the second wave is definitely, I feel like that's kind of like undeniably good, right? Like people, I I would say that's a good jumping point or like uh, like the English beat specials, obviously. Mm -hmm. And like when the English beat kind of turns into a new wave band towards the end, a lot of those bands did that uh like you know start out ska and just become a pop band but then like you just have to find bands who could the third wave like horn sound is really cloying and that is a tough hurdle to get over (laughs) and i mean like obviously i think this is rooted in my nostalgia but also like all music is just uh, totally like subjective and like liking it has as much to do with wanting to like it than whether it's actually good. So. That is for sure true. Like, um, do you remember, of course, you remember the Taylor Swift song Bad Blood? Mm-hmm. I knew that song was going to be everywhere, so I decided to just accept and like it because, like, it had such an earworm of a hook and it was like, fine, I guess I'll just like, I chose to make peace with the fact that it was going to be stuck in my head. And I still have not done that for look what you made me do. Cause that song's objectively terrible. I agree that most music is subjective, but that song objectively sucks. Yeah. I don't Taylor went down some kind of dark path that I did not see coming. Maybe she needs well, to get you, into ska. I don't know. You know what? She should probably get into ska. Look what you need to do is a Coke song. Listen to it. <laughs> I read something that was like, this was Max Martin just trying to experiment and it backfired. But hmm. Are You Ready For It is also terrible. How did this become a Taylor Swift thing and not a ska thing? So something I think I would like to hear since you just mentioned like SoundCloud rap as a precedent, I guess, for the next wave of, of ska is I would like to hear like slowed down versions of um, those annoying uh, ska horns mm-hmm. used as like a beat, like sampled in like a sort of vaporwave way. I want to see because like because vaporwave is just slowed down '80s pop. So what is just slowed down mid '90s ska gonna sound? Like? Right, or maybe it's gonna go like the other way, and it's gonna be like chipmunk vocals, like Kanye West, early Kanye West, like soul samples. Yeah. Well, I think you have to slow down, pick it up, pick it up. <laughs> yeah. Or else it's like, or else it's just the residents. Nightcore territory. Yeah. 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 Or like, I don't really know how uh, like trap beats are going to mesh with upstrokes. I guess I have some trouble with the direction that hip hop is going. Like last night, the... Um, this is going to be very dated because I am, like, banking so many podcasts. But last night was um, Natalie Portman's SNL hosting, and she did, like, a, a redo of Natalie raps, mm. but with, like, a newer beat and newer references. And I don't think she mentioned Lean, but I feel like she should have. I don't know. And it just it, it didn't work, and I think it's because the beat was not great yeah like not timely enough or something or 
it wasn't conducive to the way that Natalie Portman knows how to rap. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> was she was she rapping like Migos style, like a da 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 da? A little, but it was more like the the slowed down version of it, like when um when Jay Z tried to do that in um his album before this one, which was called something I'm sure. But it was not great. <laughs> was it 444 or was that this one? No, 4044 is this one. Oh, okay. And the one before it was called Holy Grail was the single. And then the album was called I'm Not Good at Doing This New Generation's Flow was the name <laughs> of the album. Ah, naturally. Very self-aware <laughs> move after lemonade well, he was just getting ahead of the bad publicity nah. <laughs> just like you know what i'm just gonna foreground it you can't say it because i said it that's savvy that's exactly what i expect from a business man because <laughs> he's a business man <laughs> oh this is, is hard. this is totally a pivot but um i sat next to kin nine at Cracker Barrel this afternoon. What? Not like next next to him, but uh, he was seated at the table next to me. And do you know what he ordered? What did he order? A single pancake. No. Yeah. What? Yeah, no. and he was eating alone. And uh, his office is really close to there, so that makes sense. I feel like now I have to have a segment that's just called Deep Hoosier content because. I know. I and like. The last episode that I listened to, and it was very deep Hoosier content. But yeah, I can't. I'm so indentured in Hoosier comment or content that. I think that's fine. I yeah. Like you have to. We have to big up where we're from, or else I would just be talking about Los Angeles all the time, and that sounds terrible. I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, it's just like it's uh the classic dynamic I'm picking up on is that like as a lot of people I know are moving to New York or LA and they're like oh I just like saw like Rosario Dawson at a party then I'm like oh I just ate next to the television lawyer at Cracker Barrel it's I don't know well no I think that I would get more excited sitting next to Ken Nunn well even here I've seen and met celebrities and the sort of like more niche ones are are more fun to Mm -hmm. see it's like um if you're like a bird watcher you'll be like oh cool a bald eagle but if you see like this one bird that's only seen in like this particular forest or whatever like that's the hype bird to like get involved with not the one that's on bunting? the indigo bunting of la is that like, a niche bird that I don't know? <laughs> I think I might have just made it up, but it sounds it. like a bird. I like it. The speckled indigo bunting. Um, hmm. I have a spreadsheet of all of the celebrities that I've seen. It's for Sarah. Because <laughs> it's easier than just having like the grilling every week. Like, who would you see this week? So I'm trying to think about a recent niche encounter i mean i saw jim rash at the um arc light and that was very exciting mm-hmm. and then later that day i saw evan peters at the arc light arc lights lit <laughs> what's the arc light the arc light is a movie theater um it's actually a chain but the one i'm talking about is attached to a older theater called the cinerama dome it was like before there was imax there was 
Cinerama, and there was one um, theater in Los Angeles that was dedicated to it, and it was um, became like a national, like cultural heritage place or something. And so, this very shishi movie theater chain um, restored the building. And ArcLight is noted because the usher comes in and introduces the movie for you before it starts. Mm. And no one asked for that. <laughs> He's like, you're watching this movie that was directed by this guy. And I'm like, yeah, we know. I just <laughs> bought a ticket for it. It's bizarre. And um, you have assigned seats and they will kick you out for looking at your phone. Ah, it's like intense. It's a cineast um, theater. So. Finally. I know. Finally, movies are for the movie-going public. I don't know. But Arclight is a, a good spot to see people. I've heard there's, like, a grocery store in Malibu that's lit, but I have yet to even go to Malibu, so I don't know. A single pancake, though. Right? It, and you've heard that he goes to Lenny's every day and... Uh, presents the server with a laminated um like instructions for how to prepare his salad that's like no? this yeah this it's i and i'm pretty certain there's like a precise number of tom- tomatoes that are allowed to be on the salad that he orders he's got a writer for his salad yeah what <laughs> and and did you see that there's buses with his face on them now in town? Like, how large? Like, bus-sized. Like, like, in, <laughs> like, like okay, it's so like little bus sets. I didn't know about this. Yeah. That, it's. Are they the self-driving ones? No, I don't think those ever really materialized. Thank God. I'd be terrified. But. It's, like, just pay bus drivers. Get over yourself. Right, yeah, you probably have to pay whatever, like, self-driving bus specialist twice as much the three times a year he has to come in, like, when your self-driving bus hits a crow. (laughs) Because they're fucking everywhere. I love crows. I miss crows. Yeah, they're a really charismatic bird. Bloomington is a town with no pigeons, so So there's gotta be something. Crows everywhere. There's, um... In, in Los Angeles, like, especially at Santa Monica Pier, there are so many pigeons that are, like, handicapped, for lack of a better Like, they're missing, like, feet or toes. And it's kind of nice that there's somewhere where all of these disabled pigeons can thrive. Like, there's yeah. that much trash that, that they can, <laughs> like, live. I find that oddly heartening. Yeah, that's very inspiring. Like, yeah, that... I think, yeah, the next wave of evolution is just, like, what animals can live off trash the most (laughs) fruitfully. It's the Wally biome. (laughs) Oh, that's depressing. So what is your favorite ska band? Oh, well, I mean, like, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with that band Streetlight Manifesto. And I also really liked Bomb the Music Industry. Um, and I was doing some research last night and I learned that the guy from Bomb the Music Industry got a job composing 
music for a new Cartoon Network show, mm. like a, um, a Steven Universe-related show. So mm. further proof Ska is coming back. And it is Ska music in the cartoon. Yeah, I, I do feel like that Third Wave Ska is the music of children's cartoons. That's, that's entirely right. Or like... Uh, Nickelodeon when they first branched out into features it was very ska and funk heavy yeah absolutely and like uh the Aquabats had a kid show like that famous quid show kids well they were a kid show and then they uh Yo Gabba Gabba was produced by Aquabats people Mm -hmm. yeah and then they had like a a cartoon as well or something I feel like it was just called Viva the Aquabats Mm -hmm. I can't recall yeah, and Third Wave Sky is children's music, so it kind of goes together. <laughs> yeah, maybe... Someone actually... Sorry. Oh, I was just... Someone implied <laughs> to me that... <laughs> I got hurt because my friend said, like, I thought you were only list- like talking about Ska like, as a joke. Like, I, I figured you-, you had never even listened to Ska. And I was like, no, I lived that. This has to happen to you a lot where people are trying to parse what is irony and what is sincere. And I feel like my guess is that more of your content is sincere than people are giving it credit for. Yeah, that's, thank you. Yeah, because, yeah, people get hurt because, I mean, that is like the language of posting is um, like irony or like kind of, normally it's like derision, but a lot of the stuff I talk about is like stuff I like and want to talk about and I'm talking about it in a way. Yeah. I don't know. Long story short, I think people think I'm like being saltier than I am. Mm, Cause the form is saltier necessarily than the, the message you're actually trying to get across. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I have that problem. Mm-hmm. I'm coming to terms with the fact that I'm just really mean yeah and and that's you know for good or for ill the thoughts that bubble out of my brain are frequently uncharitable and it's good to have a filter on those i guess Mm -hmm. yeah i do i mean my impulse is there's a there's there's more than a few mean bones in my body and my impulse is to be mean a lot of times and i try not to i feel like perez hilton Sometimes when I have more than one drink in me, but I, no, Perez Hilton. I mean, without the baggage, just like I don't know. Whenever I think of Perez Hilton, I think of the Rihanna S and M video where he's like being walked around like a doggy. Oh, the, I haven't seen that. It's good. Um, David LaChapelle sued the director for basically, like, stealing his entire, like, mise-en-scene, and mm-hmm. he's right. It's a total ripoff, but also David LaChapelle did not create looking shiny and sexual. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to draw the line sometimes. I, uh, I like the, or whenever I think of Perez, I think about when him and Kathy Griffin had to, like, make amends after Kathy Griffin's dad died on My Life on the D-List. Did you watch that show? I didn't. Every- Man, I, I, I love Kathy. Kathy is 
a hero to many people that I am friends with and work with. They're very into mm-hmm. Kathy Griffin, and they it. Um, I was working on throwing shade when the like severed head thing happened, and they were furious that she was getting like rigged over the coals for it because it was so stupid that we got upset over that at all. Right. I don't know. I don't know. We're living in very stupid times. Yeah, probably kind of the I mean the stupidest in recent memory. Like the olden days were stupider when like people were flogged in public and stuff. That was pretty stupid. Sure, there's this Twitter called Medieval Deathbot that just takes um it it will it just posts um an entry from the death rolls from uh cities like i think mostly i think bath i think is one of them so it's just like in 1330 e this guy died by misadventure this guy was eaten by a pig (laughs) this guy was uh bailing some hay and there was a pitchfork mishap and was stabbed in the brain it's crazy um people yeah there's more than one baby that was eaten by a sow in that and that okay, has so to be it was a baby time. i mean yeah anyone can be anyone could be eaten by a pig if they applied themselves right they, pigs love that, eating people that's that, pigs are famous for that yeah like that's the why um it's so scary in the beginning of the wizard of oz when she falls into the pig pen is like you are legit going to get eaten tiny judy garland mm-hmm. but yeah and people were so frail back then like the average man was the size of a child. Yeah, everybody had. Or so I understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, crawling with lice, riddled with face tumors, no teeth. No you just simpler times, happier times. Yeah, the olden days. I've been pitching an article, um, trying to find a home for it. I I started writing it about how Kelsey Grammer is in the LA opera production of Candide right now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it is further proof that not only are we not living in the best of all possible worlds, we might be living in one of the worst or at least most cliche of all possible worlds. Like, of course, Kelsey Grammer is playing um, Dr. Pangloss in Candide. That's a joke from Frasier. This is stupid. Why <laughs> is this the world we're living in? Yeah, it's like, it's on the nose, it's way too on the nose and dismissive and kind of problematic to be like, we live in an idiocracy, like the movie Idiocracy. But we, it is kind of like the movie Idiocracy. I think we live in the movie Southland Tales. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh god, it's so good. There is a an episode that will come out soon, or has already come out. Um, where my friend Lucy and I talk about Southland Tales, but really it presaged so much that is happening right now as far as celebrities being way too involved in both like establishment politics and like la resistance. Um, in the movie mm-hmm. Southland Tales, all of the people who are like the freedom fighters or whatever are deeply stupid played by UCB performers and I think are playing people like in the comedy scene in LA. So it's like 
the LA comedy scene has been hugely radicalized. Like the, everybody is in the DSA. Everybody. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's the I'm I have like so many mixed emotions about the intersection of the DSA and comedy. Mm. And podcasts. Are you just saying that you have mixed feelings about Chapo Trap House? Yeah, <laughs> and I went I went to a DSA meeting once in Bloomington or a YDSA meeting and they like were talking about like Twitter beef they had with another organization on campus and I was just like (sighs) nobody knows how to build coalitions anymore that's all I'm gonna say about that just like just just find common ground figure out how even if it's not the thing you want it could get towards the thing you want and just accept it I don't know yeah I don't know. You know, who is good at coming together is a nine-person ska band. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. The best thing about... Yeah, and they... Ska bands are inclusive, too. If you have a friend who can't play an instrument but can just dance around on stage in a matching suit. Bring them on. Yeah, Absolutely. in the group. They need one guy who just... Uh, will shout things about picking it up or about rhythm. Mm-hmm. There's there's room for everybody. It's truly a large tent of music. Um, so we've come to the point in the show where we turn on it, hold up a mirror to society, and explain why something that people think is good is actually terrible. And what have you brought mm-hmm. to the table today? I think I'm going to talk about it's it's a like a ska band it's a big tent topic i think but i'm really fed up with uh like mainstream nerd culture okay or nerd culture or i don't even know if it's nerd culture anymore but just like the i guess comic book movies is what i don't like i think that's kind of the fact that you can't pin down whether main like nerd culture is nerd culture anymore is one of the most odious things about it is that the mainstream nerds don't realize they're mainstream. They still think they're niche nerds and mm-hmm. can have the intellectual, like the <laughs> superiority complex of somebody who is in the minority. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm like a nerd by nature. I don't particularly well and the thing is i like marvel movies like they're good or like they get the job done anyway (laughs) and but yeah it's just like i feel i spend a lot of time on youtube also and there's so many youtube like explanations of marvel movies you go to the mall have you been to the bloomington mall in the past year and a half or something i have not Okay, there's a store, it's like an, it's an adult toy store, but not in the way you would think. Mm -hmm. It's just like a place that sells like Funko Pop toys or like Mm -hmm. life-size statues of Deadpool and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I went through a, a big like Funko Pop toy collection phase and it just ended abruptly i don't know what happened exactly it was like i think i had a subscription to juxtapose for a year and for that year Mm -hmm. i collected a lot of art toys and then i didn't renew my subscription and i also didn't (laughs) renew my subscription to vinyl toys 
Yeah. Yeah. The, it is, that was a very early 2000, like the art toy movement, it's probably related to this, but it's, I don't know. I don't have a coherent thought I th- on, on that, I guess. I think the art toy movement, if you're still there, that's sad because we have enamel pins now. Yeah, that's, enamel pins are definitely the new art toy. <laughs> and they're smaller and like yeah, have a function. So I feel like it's overall an improvement um, that will, the bubble will burst on that for sure, but not yet. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah, we're all just waiting for a series of bubbles to burst. Yeah, for sure. I am waiting for this new comedy boom to burst because it's going to. And I feel like with CISO um, closing, that's the beginning of the end. But, you know, we'll see. What's th- what's the difference between the new comedy boom and the... Well, there was the 80s comedy boom where um, all the stand-up clubs opened and that it was all specifically um, comedy was on TV more and it was stand-up and it was always stand-up. And then it was everybody who wanted to do stand-up also wanted to do sitcoms and got into sitcoms that are like around them. So that's like, you know, Seinfeld, Raymond, those were stand-ups that made the move. Um, But Mm then in like the 90s, People just stopped wanting to go. Um, you know, like Margaret Cho's show flopped. There were other people's shows who didn't make it to a second season, and and it burst. And all of these comedy stores and yuck yucks and what have yous closed. And that's when the alternative comedy scene started. And then now that is being um, exploited for profit to the point of oversaturation. And so there will be an alt comedy bubble burst soon uh it's like john mulaney had a show right that flopped he did it was called mulaney and um i actually have a a friend of mine who wants to come on the show this show and talk about how it was actually a good sitcom (laughs) oh that's great i i mean like i think that guy is very or john mulaney is funny for sure um and it had elliot gould on it I don't know. Maybe it was good. But yeah, um, the Carmichael show got canceled, which is a shame. CISO is no longer a network, which really sucks. What do you you think there's, what do you think the next wave is? Hopefully not like Vine. Well, I I think the next place that like, that, oh God, Scomedy. That's just lighting farts on fire, right? That's the pinnacle uh, of comedy. Yeah, with a tuba sound. <laughs> um, I mean, Facebook video is is trying to make it happen so hard, and bless their hearts, they think that it will work. But uh, we'll see. So, so you like Marvel movies, but you don't like the sort of culture surrounding all of the comic book movies. Yeah, I mean. Um, I mean, I like them as much as I like any other thing that, like, entertains me for a brief moment, but, yeah, well, another thing that, um, I think I kind of had trouble, like, deciding what to talk about for 
what I don't like that uh, has that is like perceived as good. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like I have trouble understanding what like people actually perceive or like what is popular versus like what like my friends talk about, which is different. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. But, um, so I don't know, like, like, obviously, comic book movies have been the major, uh, like, money-making force in Hollywood for the past 10 years now. Mm -hmm. But do people like them? I don't... I have no idea. No, I I have the same question as, like, I know that somebody is watching them is it just that they're doing well in foreign markets or because that's not what the like critical consensus is not necessarily these are the best movies ever but they are i guess consistently making money they have to be because they're Mm -hmm. so expensive so if they don't make money then people lose their shit and then that becomes the story yeah but then also aren't the critic the like tomato meters for these movies are pretty high. Yeah. Like. Well, and for, I've heard that Metacritic is better than Rotten Tomatoes because Rotten Tomatoes like weighs their their like I don't remember what it was exactly, but that Metacritic is like a better actual auger of critical consensus. But that's neither here mm-hmm. nor there. Um. For some, yeah, for the Marvel movies, I think that they're they're well reviewed and very much not so for the DC movies except for Wonder Woman. Yeah, makes sense. I saw Suicide Squad, though. I tried to watch Suicide Squad um, on a plane because that seemed like where it should go. Mm Mm-hmm. But I just could not with Jared Leto. Right. It's... I was hoping it would be more... I was hoping it would be worse than it was. Mm. Like, Jared... Like, uh, I read all that stuff about how Jared Leto was uh, trying to be a method actor for the role of the Joker, and he was, like, sending his castmates, like... Used condoms. Dead... Yeah, dead animals and stuff. Like, I was so fascinated by that. Um, But it just... He wasn't in the movie that much. It was just a boring movie. I thought it would be a train wreck, but it was just boring. Maybe the thing that actually sucks is um, the Joker, yeah. Or or the like Joker sucks. Joker fandom is right cuz Mhm. Heath Ledger Joker made such an impact on annoying guys everywhere. <laughs> and yeah, uh Jared Leto was trying to w- ride that. I don't have a problem with the Jack Nicholson Joker. Um I, I don't have a problem with Jack Nicholson Joker. Um I mean, obviously, Mark Hamill Joker is is my personal favorite Joker, but I think that we haven't given enough. This is this is my thing that people think is bad that is actually very good is the '60s Batman TV show that was just like uh, yeah. fucking fun and pretty. And Cesar Romero was great because he was playing the Joker as like flaming. Like, mm-hmm. it was the one time that Cesar Romero got to actually act queer on camera, and he was living for it. He was having the best fucking time being the Joker. And it's very mm-hmm. obvious that he's having a blast. And, like, yeah, um, all reruns of Batman are on this channel. 
I think it's me TV. I, it's either me or this. There's there's like five stations that are just like um there's one that's like called me, there's one that's called we, there's one that's called this. <laughs> and there might be like an it or a that, I'm not sure, but they all um are primarily reruns and they all rule ass. They're so good. Um but me TV, I believe has this block that's like um they play Sven Gulli, so like the last of the um, horror hosts, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's an hour of Batman, and then an hour of Star Trek, um, TOS, and then it's like Wonder Woman. And it's like, okay, let's do this. Um, and watching the Batman, the 60s Batman thing, it's like, oh yeah, Batman as a character was not ruled by the underlying tragedy of his life or like his huge boner for justice or his desire to like, he wasn't overwhelmed with this like need to fight. He was overwhelmed with this need to fight crime, but it wasn't like because of, of tragedy. Someone just like, well, this is how I engage in civic life. Like, yeah, there was something about sixties Batman as upstanding, a citizen beloved by like, I hate it, but beloved by the police. (laughs) Um, That was just, like, fun and nice. Right. Whereas, like, the Chris Nolan Batman as this, like, tortured billionaire who takes it upon himself to, uh, you know, purge society of Undesirables. Yeah. Kind of rings a... Raises some red flags. Yeah, it it feels really um, Randian. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like a rich guy who has proprietary technology that he doesn't want to share with the rest of the town, but he does want to beat up poor people. <laughs> I read a... I don't know what the difference between an article and a think piece is, but I read something about how Brad Bird movies are really Randian, like mm. The Incredibles, oh, and well, I think the even Ratatouille. Sure is. Ratatouille, yeah. though. I I read the article. I wasn't convinced, and then someone brought it up to him, and he was like, "Uh, yeah, I get that a lot, but uh, that's not the case. You either get it or you don't." Yeah, which is kind of a Randian thing to Randian say. response. <laughs> For sure. Wait, Ratatouille, like, because the health inspector is, well, wait, is the health inspector even a going concern for, like, the rats? I only saw that movie once, and I'm trying to remember. Like, the big yeah. villain is a food critic. Right. But I still think, it, yeah, I mean, that one doesn't hold up, because it's about, like, the bond between two people. That That also, like, helps all these other people come together to make food. Like you can't be as much as being a like solo objectivist pioneer doing everything for yourself is always false. It might be the most false in a kitchen Mm -hmm. because you literally cannot cook all of it yourself. You know, you have to have your prep cooks, your sous, your saucies. Like it is such a, team environment like you cannot pretend you're the only person in a kitchen because you will accidentally stab someone right but i also feel like uh all like a chef's table 
does a lot of work to undermine that. Mm, that's true. Like it puts, I think a lot of the uh, prestige television or prestige food television that we get on like Netflix and stuff is all about auteur theory of the shit. Mm-hmm. Okay, now here's the question: Which is worse, uh, mainstream nerd culture or nerdy chef culture? Well, uh, I have okay. I don't know which one is worse per se. I do. I mean, like, I'm fascinated by Anthony Bourdain. A hundred percent. I'm surprised it's I, taken us this long to start talking about Anthony Bourdain because I feel like we both are very transfixed by him. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, I don't even know where to start with him. But. Well, I guess I, I've also been trying to parse um, whether you like or dislike Anthony Bourdain. That's something I don't quite understand, but I feel like maybe you don't know which one it is for yourself. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, the thing that... Okay, I think it has to do with, like, uh, it's racialized and it's gendered... Um, because Anthony Bourdain is someone who, for the past 15 years, has made a living uh, kind of, you know, living the sort of post-colonial fantasy of, like, going to these, mm-hmm. you know, developing countries and tasting their food and uh, making it, like, a visual spectacle for, like, Western viewing pleasure. And I, but I also think with the CNN show, he does do a lot of good work, uh, highlighting some of the complexities of like, you know, the, some political stuff in the country, some like of the post-colonial trauma. Um, but he's also kind of like stupid, which I like about him. I just, (laughs) I, I guess I just see myself in him in a certain way. Um, yeah, because I think I, I do think that his heart is in the right place. I I think that you are right that the only reason he gets to do this show is because of his like privilege. Um, mm-hmm. But I think he feels like he's shedding light on important things and bringing it to popular attention. Like uh, every episode he has about Mexico is always pro immigration and about like it's always about how hard working um uh people are in kitchens which is fine and accurate but um calm down um but then he's also i feel like he's been so supportive and great for asia argento this past year um uh-huh. and being very critical even in himself of like am i was i promoting a by by wanting to be like a rock star chef I brought a lot of toxic masculinity stuff into the people who who became these rock star chefs and, and my writing glor- glorifying that environment did harm. And he's like talked about that. And I think that he, I, I do think he's trying to do the right thing, which I like, but that he also is such a leather jacket of a man <laughs> that... It's hard. Like a, a black leather jacket with no collar of a man. Right. 
I love his uh, uh, Instagram stories where he just like uh, will take a slow pan of his hotel room while like the Stooges plays in the background. <laughs> oh, that precious lamb. Yeah, I he's he's a fucking dingus, and I do like that about him. Yeah, yeah, he's and he I do think he's self aware. Like if I mean, what's his closest comparison? Andrew Zimmern. Like, I think Anthony Bourdain is a more compelling TV host than mm-hmm. Andrew Zimmern, or Zimmerman. I can't remember. I think it's Zimmern. Um, is that his closest? Or is it Guy Fieri? Is, like, that the the high oh. versus low? Yeah. I think that... It might be Guy. Yeah, I think that Anthony Bourdain... To bring it full circle, I think Anthony Bourdain is the Christopher Nolan Batman, and Guy Fieri is the um, Cesar Romero Joker. I thought you were going to say Guy Fieri is the third wave ska. Both, for sure. (laughs) But he is just, like, fucking having fun out there. Right. Mixing it up. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I like, uh, I mean, I don't really rock with Guy, but... Really? Real, believe it or not. Okay. I mean, it's just like I he he does his thing. I don't know. I just I'm I'm not. I will say I'm absolutely not here for like ironic Guy Fieri memes. Yeah. You know that's played out. Just let him be. Yeah. I I genuinely like the show. Um, recently, someone was talking about how he's good for small business, and I'm like, oh shit, yeah, you're right. That is that yeah. is cool. Um, that I'll, I've been to a couple restaurants that have been on Triple D. Uh, oh, and they've been choice. Like the oh, there's this place. Uh, it's on the way to St. Louis from Bloomington, um, like on the border between Illinois and Missouri, I think. And they advertise their foot high. Um, pies. That's like their thing is that they have meringue pies and they were on Triple D and their frying is amazing. There is no oil left in like the fried okra. It's a perfect fry every time. It's insane. It's so good. You can get fried catfish, you can get fried okra, fried chicken livers, fried chicken, chicken fried steak. Um, it's a great place. Do they have brain? That seems like a uh, fried brain region. They don't have fried brain there. The, the, uh-huh. they have, li- they have livers and gizzards. Mm. And that's it. As far as awful is concerned. Um, but yeah, and then I've been to like a couple triple D places in Los Angeles. Not even like one of them knowing full well that's what it was, and the other times being like, "Oh, dip," and seeing the sign. Yeah, what a treat! <laughs> I went to a Bourdain visit once when I was in Detroit. Yeah, it was. Uh, if you've seen the Bourdain Detroit episode, he goes to like some diner, and I w- I went in and I was like, "This seems familiar," and then I looked in the uh, the wall. Lo and behold, the Silver Fox. <laughs> I recently went to a dumpling place from the Bourdain um, Koreatown episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that episode is very... It, that is a very flawed hour of television that I have seen six times. 
Yeah, that one definitely left in a mark on me. Uh, oh, I've been to that Sizzler too. <laughs> that artist. What the it's fuck David is Cho, his right? problem? Yeah. Well, he he's he was a Vice guy. Like he was a Vice TV guy in the like ten years ago, and I thought I think that painting he made of Anthony was funny, <laughs> but. All of his art is very, yeah, very Vice TV of art. But the he was hung in the White House is really funny. Did that show explain how he got his money? Um, it was something about he did a mural for Facebook and they paid him in stock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay yeah. I just wanted to bring that back up. That he basically like lucked out for sure. Um. And any, yeah, and how, so how did, how did Mark know about him, I guess, is my question. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that was a Zuckerberg call or maybe a buddy, maybe the Winklevoss twins guy that, yeah, or uh, Andrew Garfield's character. <laughs> Who has a name, I bet. I don't know what it is. Um, Miles, where can people find you online? Uh, you can follow me at, at Miles Grimmer on Twitter. Um, you can look on me on Instagram at, at, it's premium device giveaway. Uh, I think it's premium dot device underscore giveaway. (laughs) And then (laughs) I, I, I've been meaning to change that name. And then if you uh, are concerned with um, the deeply regional and the hyper-local, you can follow my account about Bloomington, Indiana, called at Bloomington.af. All right. And I'm at BethyBSQU on Twitter and at Bethy Squires on Instagram. And I still don't really have a social media presence for this podcast. And I regret that from the bottom of it.